0: Hello, my blooming blossoms of liberty. Welcome to the pre-roll for Electric Liberty Land, episode number 147. And I want to tell you once again that you can join the Libertarian Party by virtue of using a Lions of Liberty link, which will, in turn, allow you a voice in the upcoming elections. Yes, we all know 2020 is going to be a hell of a thing. We have no idea who's running for any of the candidates yet. I mean, I think Kim Ruff's still out there. I think Josh Smith might be throwing his hat into the ring. Uh, An assortment of other people as well. And who knows what Amash is going to do. Who knows, maybe we'll even get some Gabbard discussion in there, despite the fact that we agree with her on maybe two things and disagree with her on so many others. But hell, that didn't stop Bill Weld from becoming VP. Anyway, you can go join on up and we get a little bit of dosh for that. A dosh for that, nosh into the Libertarian apple, go to lp.org forward slash Lions of Liberty. Welcome to Electric Liberty Land here on the Lions of Liberty podcast, your weekly shot of culture, comedy, and liberty with your host, Brian McWilliams. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Electric Liberty Land, episode number 147. You can find all the show notes for today's episode at lionsofliberty.com forward slash ELL147. By the way, we're working on a uh, website upgrade. Well, what we hope will be an upgrade anyway. I'm hard at work diving in both hands, both butt cheeks. Only one testicle though. Got to save one in case I want to have another baby. Can't put that all into the Liberty bucket in case this whole experiment with the website backfires tragically, leaving me the shell of a man, uh, more of a shell of a man. We already know that I'm uh, a little more than uh, an empty casing for a Mr. Peanut that has been filled halfway with Liberty and the other half with just pure grain alcohol. However, today I'm not hung over shockingly, despite the fact that I watched My precious Philadelphia Eagles absolutely shit the bed against the Dallas Cowboys, America's most hated team. God, I I know the Patriots have probably taken that mantle on more prominently, just as America's Patriots have taken on the mantle of most hated worldwide due to our ongoing policies of interventionism, of empire building, of uh, policing the world. The Patriots seem to have taken on the mantle of most hated team here due to their success and constant cheating, which, yes, the Patriots are still cheating. If you're out there and you're a Patriots fan, you are definitely still rooting for cheaters. Uh, And of course, America, we're cheaters too. Our government cheats constantly. We constantly break the rules. Uh, we constantly are engaging in war crimes. We constantly are engaging in uh, <laughs> cheating against our own people by virtue of spying, by virtue of ta- over taxation, by virtue of stripping away basic liberties on the state and federal levels. It just goes on and on. Supposed to say, the Eagles lost to the Cowboys. I got exceptionally drunk Sunday night. And, you know, I, I thought I was going to be down and out for a while, but here I am full of piss and vinegar, ready to ready to take on the day's news and bring you special people a little ray of sunshine. You know, like when it catches a crystal in the window that your wife put up there and that you hate because it makes the house look like a den of fucking hippie jerk-offs. No offense to our resident favorite hippie, Ben Panji, You should check out his podcast, by the way. Here's a free plug for Ben Panji because I love Ben Panji. He is a member of our Lions of Liberty Pride. You've also probably seen him in the Lions of Liberty Forum, which you can join by going to Facebook, typing in Lions of Liberty, and asking to join. Tell them you heard it here from Brian McWilliams while bashing one of his most beloved supporters who happens to be a hippie and who happens to have a podcast about hippie homeschooling And homesteading called the Homesteads and Homeschools with Liberty Hippie Podcast. Yeah, that's right, baby. So check that out. And uh, you see, it's all coming back around. And it's all good. (laughs) It's the carrot and the stick, man, you know? Sometimes you got to slap them. Sometimes you got to give them a kiss. (laughs) That's how we roll here on Lions of Liberty. Uh, Anyway, let's get into the show. And the big news, I would say since I've last done my podcast. And of course you should definitely check out uh, the review I did with Joker for Mark or with Mark last week on the show. And we also Mark and I got together to talk about a, uh, we had an interesting conversation about borders. We had a debate that is now available to the pride. Of course you can go to patreon.com forward slash lions of Liberty to hear that we did about a 50 minute conversation about borders, about where we disagree on borders and uh, and border policy coming to open borders, the welfare state, the impact of philosophy versus reality, and how we want to handle that. So make sure to check that out. Uh that will be coming sometime down the line. I don't know exactly when though, but you can get it right now, right here, right now, right here, right now, by going to patreon.com forward slash lionsallery. Okay. But well, no, the big top news seems to be that the impeachment proceedings against Donald Trump seem to be speeding up. And the reason for this is not because of Nancy Pelosi's ridiculous fact sheet she put out, which honestly it looked like something that an ad agency would put out. And it was, she put out this ridiculous fact sheet, which just was so above and beyond marketing copy. I mean, it was something out of like a pitch document for a television show. It was like, you know, starting off, it's like the shakedown in big size 48 font, italicized, talking about Trump's conversation with uh, with the Ukrainian president. And then it goes through all these different like whistle, the whistleblower said this and that. And then it's just everything about it was written to read like the most sensationalist inquirer gossip story rather than what you'd expect from a government office. Uh, you know, out of a the speaker of the House, you would expect some sort of some modicum of dignity to come out of this document, some sort of official nature to be like, hey, look, we're very serious people here. This is a serious proceeding against, I mean, we're talking about impeaching a president, something that's happened twice in the history of the goddamn United States. And now they're bringing it up again and have been bringing it up, what, for the last year and a half, two years? I mean, ever since uh, the, the Mueller bullshit came out? But instead of taking the the pretext of this is a very serious endeavor, we should treat it as such, you get this magnificent document highlighting just what a dog and pony shit show this entire thing has become. Now, that being said, and and by the way, I will link to that in the show notes if you want to take a look at at this document and have a chuckle. But the real big news about this impeachment thing is that this diplomat named... Bill Taylor, who was the acting ambassador to Ukraine, he was not officially voted in, although I'm sure the Democrats will have no problem voting him in now. But he testified and even Fox News is saying unequivocally testified that Trump pushed Ukraine to investigate the election interference and the Joe Biden slash Hunter Biden instance of Joe Biden threatening to withhold military aid for Ukraine or you know, withhold like a billion dollars of aid to Ukraine and also having his son sit on the Burisma oil company, or gas and oil company board, getting paid $50,000 a month for a position which he was completely unqualified for in every possible way. Uh, and then, of course, we saw where Joe Biden had bragged about this to the I think it was like the U.S. Uh, Security Council. So. We now have a situation where Bill Taylor is coming out and he has basically said that Trump, during that phone call, the one that the transcript was released for, and which to me seemed like a whole lot of blown out of bullshit, he's saying that that wasn't really where this is coming in. That in fact, Trump has been working behind the scenes and has told different people that were talking to the Ukrainian government to make this a reality, to, uh, to, to basically assure that the president. Of the Ukraine was going to come out and say, yes, we are going to investigate this uh, and follow through with that. And the way in which he did this was not by going through Bill Taylor uh, specifically, but by going through a different ambassador who was the U.S. ambassador to the European Union, Gordon Sondland. And apparently Taylor had been told by a National Security Council aide named Tim Morrison that he witnessed a conversation between Gordon Sondland and a Mr. Yermak, who well, I'm trying to find who this Yermak guy is, but apparently he is, uh, oh, sorry, he's a top Ukrainian aide, Andriy Yermak, that security assistance money would not come until President Zelensky committed to pursue the Burisma investigation. So that more or less would indicate that Donald Trump has done exactly what the Democrats are accusing him of doing, and that is maintaining that a quid pro quo was in fact in place that no money would be coming through to the Ukrainian government in the form of military aid until they did our president's wishes. So that's not all. I mean, that's that's the main accusation. He goes on to talk about a, a couple more things, but that was really the, the main crux. Of it. And of course, as I said, he wants him to publicly announce that they're going to be looking into this. So where does that leave us? Because as we knew, they were going to push forward with this this impeachment regardless. And the question that really arises is still, will it impact the election? Now, I know polls have been saying that the majority of Americans now support impeachment, at least impeachment proceedings, not necessarily impeaching Donald Trump, but impeachment proceedings to move forward. In my gut of guts, I feel like it's not going to really have much of an impact. And while you can't come out and say this, because what what President Trump is doing is without a doubt, I would say, uh, an impeachable offense. Uh, Using leverage and and not in the context necessarily of saying that, okay, he's trying to investigate a wrongdoing, because I agree that he is trying to investigate a wrongdoing. Uh, Namely, if he's trying to look into Ukrainian interference in our elections, that should be completely on board. The problem comes when you try to do this with a political rival. And the irony, of course, is that in the same conversation, Donald Trump is talking about, hey, I want to look into what was done to me and my campaign and how the Ukraine helped in that while doing that essentially to Joe Biden by virtue of investigating what happened with his son. Now, (laughs) if Joe Biden were to drop out of the race tomorrow, would that mean that this whole thing goes away? Probably not because you still say it's a political rival. You still say that he was harmed by Donald Trump bringing this up because obviously this has now come to light. It has now gotten much more political attention. Joe Biden has been dropping in the polls. I don't think this would have anything to do with it, but he's been dropping in the polls even faster. Warren is now ahead of him uh, pretty much across the board that I can tell. But it does raise this specific question. If you committed a wrongdoing in the past, and you happen to have been in a very powerful public office when that took place, is the president not permitted to look into and investigate that crime or alleged crime while you are running for a political office? And I haven't heard anybody ask this question yet, but every time I think about this, that's really all I come back around to because while we have wrongdoings from the president. We have these impeachment proceedings moving forward. We have these accusations of quid pro quo and using your status as the president to investigate a political rival, which is explicitly uh, not condoned. What if he is running for office? Couldn't you just continuously run for office then under the guise of I am campaigning? I mean, if you have enough money, you could really run for some sort of campaign or say that you are a political rival to the president. You've got a long track record of being this. You've obviously run for president. You were not exactly on the greatest terms with uh, Donald Trump in the last year you were in office before he uh, took over the presidency. So are you given a get-out-of-jail-free card because of this? Why is nobody asking this question? Because even if Joe Biden drops out tomorrow, even if he's no longer a political rival with Trump in the actual sense of running, you could still use the context of, well, this investigation should have never happened in the first place because only the president had the power to instigate this type of investigation on an international level, and I was his political rival. Thus, it should have never happened. Thus, I should be cleared. And you know that's what he'll argue. You know that's what all the Democrats are argue. That's what everybody who's on team liberal impeachment is going to say. I mean, shit, if anything, it almost seems like Joe Biden should be thanking Donald Trump for doing it in this ridiculous way because he has now been absolved of this crime. He has more defenders than he will ever have. He's now, if let's say Trump loses, he's going to have a Democrat in the White House who's not going to investigate this in any way. You don't want to upturn that, that ship. You don't want to cast even more of a shadow on Obama's tarnished legacy that they keep trying to burnish. Like it's, you know, it's like, they're, they're, I swear to God, there was some reference, God, I can't remember the, where it came from, but polishing the statue of Captain Picard, basically a reference for masturbating. But I envisioned that with a bronze statue of Obama, and that's what the Democrats are doing. You know, that's like the, Demo- the new phrase for Democrats jerking off should be trying to polish the statue of Barack Obama because that thing is dirty. <laughs> it's covered with all sorts of horrible juices, horrible smells, and uh, everything else, all the excrement that comes from being an underhanded political operative, which of course Barack Obama was, and they just cannot keep the rag off of it and they can't stop themselves from just doing it over and over and over again. So I'm interested to see if you guys have any thoughts on this. You know, tweet them at me, of course, at Brian McWilliams, or you can post them in the forum. But I do think that it's kind of fascinating uh, the way this is going to work out, wherein Joe Biden just going not get away with it. You know, uh, no matter what now, he's just going to keep walking the streets of the city of D.C. and feeling little girls' hair and sniffing their scalps or whatever else he wants to do in his spare time after he loses this presidential run. Or I might be totally fucking wrong. I don't know. It's just my opinion. All right, next topic. Let's get into what's happening with Syria. Now, obviously, this has been dominating a lot of headlines. We saw the Pentagon announces the official with troop withdrawal from Syria, and that has begun. There was, of course, hand-wringing and pearl-clutching by the media on both sides that this is now going to give ISIS back all the territory, and they're going to really kick our asses and become a horrible force again. None of that's happened. U.S. troops pulled out, and they were only, I mean, We're not talking about thousands and thousands of U.S. troops, right? We're we're talking about, well, actually, we are talking about thousands and thousands. I think literally 2,000. (laughs) But you know what I mean. We're not talking about 40,000, 50,000 troops here. We're not talking about Afghanistan and Iraq troops. We're talking about 2,000 troops. And a lot of them were specialists uh, and not not the massive infantry that you think of when you think of army. So they pull out. The Kurds then threaten. They say, okay, well, we're going to let all the ISIS prisoners go because there were a couple thousand ISIS prisoners in there few thousand. What they ended up doing is actually letting go. I think women and children, you know, people that were low level, uh, just kind of in with the ISIS fighters, but not really the combatants let some of them go. Now, I don't know what's going to happen right now because the latest news coming out is that Turkey and Russia, specifically Putin and Erdogan, of course, have made a deal. And I'm going to get into that in just a second, but I want to, I just want to run through kind of the ridiculousness that's happened over this whole concept of we're abandoning the Kurds. Now, I'd said in an earlier podcast two weeks ago that while I feel for the Kurds in that the U.S. comes in, we're their ally, which raises the question of why are we allied and exactly what are they bringing to the table? Because to say someone's our ally means that they can really help us out. And it certainly seems as though we were allied with them for a very specific reason, that is to combat ISIS. We shouldn't have been there in the first place they got the benefit of us protecting them from Turkey and providing them with armament. Now, even when we pull out, we, they say we're abandoning our allies, but you know, we didn't make a pact. We don't have an alliance to protect each other forever. And even if we did, that's fucking stupid. You know, all these allegiances that we've developed with countries, they don't make much sense in general. I mean, shit, we have an alliance with Turkey. Turkey's got nuclear weapons of ours over there. So if Syria attacks Turkey, we got to go and defend Turkey. Turkey, Great! Now we're at war with Syria, and by proxy, probably with Russia. Lovely, and you know the same thing applies for for Poland, and the same thing applies for South Korea, and all these other places. Where you just go, why are we? Why are we allied with people who, I'm sorry, are not going to provide the same strategic benefit or defense to us that they are that we are providing to them, and the Kurds. Well, again, I feel for their plight of, look, we're trying to have this homeland. We thought we had you know, the U.S. here as a, a, an ally in our fight. It doesn't mean that we should be sacrificing American lives. It doesn't mean that we need to stay there forever and risk having a war with Turkey because we're defending this band of Kurds. And it also raises the question of why the Kurds would think that we would be there forever and under what context are we promising alliances with these people? Is the U.S. going over and saying we want to be here forever? Because if so, that's pretty fucked up. I mean, no way in shit should we be saying that we want to stay in these places forever. I mean, Christ, we've been in South Korea for fucking forever, for Germany forever, and all of our basically every base we've got all over the world should not be a permanent institution. There's no goddamn way. Maybe you could argue for a few strategic locations where you might say, okay, well, this is good for refueling, and might be good for uh, for certain strategic launches or defense. You know, if we got, I can understand, I guess, putting up missile missile shields in certain countries. Now I don't condone it. I can understand it. But to say, we're just going to keep staying here forever. No, thank you. So the Kurds had at some point to understand we wouldn't be there forever. To, To say we're abandoning them isn't even true. This was an alliance of convenience. We were helping them, they were helping us, and in truth, they were helping themselves because ISIS was a threat to them as well. ISIS was a threat to everybody in the region who had an established government that wasn't specifically aligned with ISIS. And never mind the fact that we also created ISIS, we armed ISIS, we trained ISIS. So we create this, this fucking terrorist group. Then we go in and we say, okay, well, now we're going to go and fight ISIS in Syria. So we're going to lie with the Kurds. The Kurds, of course, are an offshoot of a terrorist brand called PKK, which I can't remember the exact definition of it now, but essentially they are branded as a terrorist organization that wants to overthrow Erdogan's government. And even the United States has said, yes, they are a terrorist organization. That does not mean that they are, in fact, a terrorist organization by the strictest terms. They might simply be people fighting for their own freedom inside a country that has taken a strict turn in the way that they don't like. Doesn't excuse acts of violence against innocents, of course. But they have been branded as a terrorist organization by our own United States. Then, and the, uh, the Syrian rebels, like herds that we're supporting, they are factually an offshoot of this group. Now, they've had much more success. They've established a pretty large swath of land in northern Syria that they wanted to establish as their unique state. They're going to lose that. At least they're going to lose a portion of it. So after the United States backed out, you've got the Kurds, you've got Turkey. There's some back and forth fighting going on there under Syria's border. You've got Assad who's still trying to get control of his country. Of course, the Kurds say, hey, we're going to go and ally with you. Meanwhile, Turkey and Russia are talking, Putin and Erdogan are getting together, and they agree on a ceasefire. The U.S. negotiated a five-day ceasefire. That's expired. News just came out literally like an hour before this podcast, so I'm catching up to it in real time, Uh, and hopefully my analysis and understanding is correct. But from what I've read, what it seems to be uh, unanimous is that Turkey and Uh, Russia have agreed that they are going to oversee this northern Syria area for now. They have uh, told Assad of this plan, which essentially is going to allow the Kurds to move back 20 miles, which is what Erdogan had wanted all along, uh, to get a border wherein they can't launch mortars into Turkey. Because he still views these people as a terrorist group, and he has a reasonable reason to think that. So these Kurds are going to move back. They're going to give up 20 miles that's right on the border. They are still going to have some land for which to live on. Uh, I think it's about 75 miles long, 20 miles deep. So they're still going to have some land which they can occupy. They have to give up that border. And Trump Trump, and Russia and Turkey will make sure that that stays uh, clear of the Kurds. Now, Assad is also getting involved in this. He said, fine, I'm good with that plan. Uh, Apparently, you know, they're aligned with the Kurds right now. So in the end of all of this, America pulls out. There was no mass slaughter, despite ABC running video footage from a goddamn air show in Tennessee or Kentucky. I think it was Kentucky. Yeah. Running a, a scene of a, a massive bombing in Kentucky where an airship was basically showing how the mortars are dropped and setting off bombs to wow the crowd, in which nobody died unless they died of sheer enjoyment drinking sweet Kentucky bourbon and uh and Ewan and I got the show. So this pullout happens, ISIS has not taken over this, t- this area, especially because Russia has been fighting ISIS the whole time. And to the point of Trump, when he was running for go- for office saying, why are we fighting with Russia? If we're on the same side against ISIS in the region, yeah, makes a lot of sense. So now you've got Turkey, which is anti-ISIS. You've got Russia and Putin, which are anti-ISIS. And you've got Assad who is also anti-ISIS. I don't think ISIS is going to do too well, guys. What do you think? You're going to have three well-armed countries that are all going after ISIS I'm going to say that they're not going to take back that territory. In the meantime, the Kurds are safe. They ally with, with Assad. They're going to lose some of the land, but they're not massacred. It's not a great outcome for what they were trying to achieve, but it's vastly better than what the media predicted would happen through all this. But you know what I've seen through all this? Here's my takeaway. And this is something that Putin even said. I remember this back when I think Hillary Clinton was still running, but he made the point to say, look, Russia isn't going all over the world and conquering people. We're not going over the world and bombing people. We're not doing any of these, these actions doesn't mean that's true, but from what's observable, it certainly does seem that Russia has made a lot more progress in calming down tensions and, uh, and making peace between peoples than we have maybe North Korea being the exception. And he also drove home a point after this happened saying that the United States breaks its promises and Russia does not. Of course, I doubt that is true. Uh, I'm sure Russia breaks its promises as well, but he's trying to rub a little dirt in our eye, and rightly so, considering what what has happened here. However, it ignores the basic premise in that the United States has a promise to its own people to not engage in ongoing warfare. When your president is promising an end to the endless wars and promising to not participate in regime change, that promise holds a lot more potency than does a promise to the Kurdish people who are using us as equally as we are using them. And that's a situation in anything. When you have any type of ally, this is obviously something where we're both going to make out as winners. Otherwise, what's the point in doing it? We're not going to go ally with somebody just to go and throw American lives into the fucking wheat thresher. Doesn't make any sense. Naturally, we have to get something out of it, and you get something out of it. In this circumstance, you got a little bit of a buffer against Turkey. You got a chance at establishing your own state, which you were unable to do in the time we were over there. And in return, you helped fight a mutual enemy while being armed to the teeth. It certainly seemed that everybody won in this situation, considering that in the end of the day, nobody's massacred. A mutual enemy still seems to be going the way of the uh, the wayside, and you now have an ally in Assad who might actually talk about giving you a, a specific part of land and working with a local government, something like that. Who's to know? But maybe it'll turn out kind of like an Israel situation where you've got a portion of the government that's Kurds has its own way of governance in a way, or possibly like you know looking at Spain and the region over there in uh, in Barcelona. You know, there's a lot to be said for keeping the fuck out of it and letting people go and negotiate on their own terms. I know. Think of that. Think of the brave new world that we've discovered where an America doesn't have to be right in the middle of everything, that we don't need to be negotiating everybody's peace plans, that we don't need to be dictating everybody's terms. And instead, we need to step back, sit down in our nice big lazy boys and lean back with our Mickey D's and the Coca-Cola and just let these fucking people work the shit out on their own. Seems to be a prime example of that being just fine. And I could not give less of a shit about Russia having expanded influence in the Middle East in regards to teaming up, talking to Turkey, talking to Syria. You know why? Because it doesn't fucking affect me in any way. And it never, ever will. Now, a couple more things I want to talk about on this before I move on. Naturally, the House Democrats unanimously voted to condemn a withdrawal from Syria. Now, one of the things that I find particularly upsetting is that not one of these people had even the smallest requirement of testicular or vaginal fortitude to say, hey, isn't this kind of good for reigning in the war state? Isn't this... Isn't this a win for the American people and getting out of a war that we don't need to be involved in? Nobody can acknowledge that, of course. Nobody can acknowledge that because of one reason, and that's Donald Trump did it. If Barack Obama had done it, I guarantee you they would be crowing about how we don't need to spill American blood abroad in these, these nations for which... They're having civil wars for which we don't need to have a constant investment. And they'll talk about the amount of money spent that could instead be spent here on healthcare. But no, these people who talk about endless subsidies, endless taxation, and the need for a massive infrastructure spending bill and all these other things like the Elizabeth Warren plan, they are fighting to keep the military industrial complex strong, to keep us over there and to keep spending money and expending blood. It, it just is mind boggling. And I'll tell you something that was interesting. A friend of mine, actually, who's been on the show, Toby, uh, Marciano, he's been on the show. Uh, he's a comedian buddy of mine and was watching the debate. And I saw he posted it on Facebook, but he said, you know, Tulsi Gabbard, he was saying that she is kind of one note. And I didn't agree with I, I feel like she's got probably one of the absolute strongest things to talk about in the entire debate. And that makes it pretty prominent, but he did say that it sounded a little bit hypocritical of her to say that she supported us staying and defending the Kurds and that we'd abandon them, which she had said during the debate. To which I say, shame, shame, Tulsi. Because I understand, as I said earlier, I understand where you're coming from. You can still have sympathy for people, but under that rationale, we'll just stay everywhere forever. If you're going to be consistent on this topic, if you're going to say, we need to end the wars, we need to bring the troops home, which she has said in the debates She said, I will bring the troops home. I want to bring all the troops home. You can't then turn around and argue that we need to stay there for the Kurds because the poor Kurdish people uh, are in harm's way. You can't have your soup and slurp it too. Inventing new catchphrases. So it's pretty uh, shameful that Tulsi Gabbard agreed and voted with the uh, condemning of the troop pullout. Okay, how's about, sis? I tell you about somebody who can have his soup and slurp it too. And that's a man named Mance Raider, otherwise known as Pete Quinones, and his podcast free man beyond the wall. Now you've heard Pete on my show. I've been on his show. He's been on Mark's show. We go roundabouts and roundabouts. And that's because we are of a like mind. We are people who enjoy liberty. We're people who enjoy uh, getting deep into topics, but also having a little bit of a sense of humor about it. Now Pete does more interviews than I do. And, uh, you know, that's not surprising because we can't all be this amazing at just talking solo into a microphone and having you guys just gobble it up, slurping it up like a delicious ham and split pea kind of chowder like they have at Pea Soup Anderson's if you have ever driven by that place. No, we can't all of that talent. But Pete is damn talented at doing interviews, I'll tell you that much. And he has some great guests on both from the Liberty World and from without the Liberty World. And uh, pretty damn good at asking the questions. So check it out, guys. Again, Freeman Beyond the Wall. You can go to FreemanBeyondTheWall.com. Give a shout to our boy and give a listen. Mm-hmm. All right. Welcome back to Electric Liberty Land, episode number 147. com forward slash ELL147 for the show notes. And uh, yeah, check the show notes out. A lot of different stories linked there, including the latest on Turkey and the Kurds. Of course, the latest story about the impeachment and a nice link about Tulsi Gabbard calling out Hillary Clinton. I wanted to get into this just briefly before I move on because we're talking about Tulsi, the naughty things she did recently. However, she also did some fantastic things which include her calling out Hillary Clinton as the warmongering establishment piece of trash she is. And this is, of course, in response to Hillary Clinton saying that Tulsi Gabbard is a candidate for Russian grooming and that she is a potential asset of Russia, essentially saying that she was, just like President Trump, working for the Russian government, And actually, I'll just give the exact quote. This is on a podcast and is quoted as saying, quote, I think they've got their eye on somebody who is currently in the Democratic primary and are grooming her to be the third party candidate, dot, dot, dot. She's the favorite of the Russians. Now, people are saying they don't know if that means the Republicans are going to do it or the Democrats, but. Hillary Clinton is clearly talking about Tulsi Gabbard here because Tulsi Gabbard is the only one that is arguing for anti-imperialism in this goddamn race explicitly and calling out the war state explicitly every time she gets on stage. Now, Tulsi Gabbard had a lovely, lovely response to this. And <laughs> it is as such, this is in a, a series of tweets, but she said, you, you, the queen of warmongers, embodiment of corruption, and personification of the rot that has sickened the Democratic Party for so long have finally come out from behind the curtain. And this response drew praise from both sides. Predictably, Donald Trump applauded it. And even Bernie Sanders came out and applauded it. Now, Bernie, Bernie, I'll grant, he has also been anti-war uh, pretty pretty thoroughly throughout his career. I think he's had a couple of suspicious votes in the past, but he does not talk about this predominantly in the debates as Tulsi does. So I can't say she's the only real anti-war candidate, but she's the only one addressing it on stage. She's the only one actively attacking the war party and the establishment. And while Bernie will cheerlead for that, he prefers to go on stage and talk about free free college and free spending and free this and that. And, and I'll get to that in a second because the Republicans are uh Republican National committee is rolling out a series of ads specifically about that. But it is fantastic to see not only Hillary Clinton taking a note of Tulsi Gabbard, because honestly, this is the best thing that could happen to her. I mean, Tulsi Gabbard, she has a little little flash here and there. She's typically not rising as fast as I would like to see and as many of us would, would appreciate seeing, especially for the moment she's had in the past, just destroying Kamala Harris or Kamala Harris, however you want to say it. And some of this might have to do with the fact that YouTube is throttling her content. She actually has a lawsuit going right now against YouTube because they had been stopping her content from being seen, so she alleges, and blocking her ads, not getting back to her, uh, shutting down her account for like a month or something like that, and not getting back to her about why and how it's going to get back and when it's going to get back. So some of that might be that Google, YouTube, everything else are working against her. But- This latest thing from a PR perspective to have Hillary Clinton and everything Hillary Clinton does gets a shit ton of coverage. For what reason? I don't know. I, I, are the Democrats secretly hoping is it as a liberal media secretly hoping she's going to run again? Because that would be number one. Fantastic for me from a content perspective. Oh my God. Get that baggy suited burlap sack twisting old twat out there. I want to see more of that. I want to see more falling downstairs. I want to see more passing out at podiums. I want to see that horrible lizard visage of hers back up there stammering as Donald Trump trots out even more rape accusers against Bill Clinton as he sits, uh, you know, diddling in the background and desperately popping Viagra. Bring on more Hillary Clinton for me, I beg of you. But I don't know why the establishment shills in the media would want this. Nevertheless, they cover every single thing she says. So naturally, they jump on this statement. They run with it because the media is more than happy to paint Tulsi Gabbard as a Russian asset. Again, I don't don't understand the tactic. Maybe because they think that the Democrats are so stupid they might buy it. But it certainly doesn't seem like Tulsi's policies go against the mainstream Democratic platform. She's still calling for mass suspending. She's still calling for all the environmental bullshit that they want. She just happens to be anti-war as well, and she brings in a modicum of intelligence and fiscal responsibility in her proposal, at least, because she's saying if we end all the wars, if we close the bases, if we bring the troops home, if we stop spending trillions of dollars overseas constantly, and hopefully that would also include military aid and foreign aid, but if we rein this shit in, we actually have some money over which we can spend on healthcare. On education, on climate, whatever the democratic talking point of your choice is, you have some money to put towards that. And it's not a pie in the sky, ridiculous concept like Bernie Sanders has of taxing the shit out of the rich and taxing the shit out of everybody because there's no way to pay for it otherwise. Or Elizabeth Warren, who somehow thinks that a tax on the ultra wealthy is going to pay for some $6 trillion of spending. You can't have a tax on the rich that exceeds the goddamn GDP of the country and say that that's realistic. So if anything, every Democrat should be embracing Tulsi Gabbard. But yet we see Hillary Clinton attacking her viciously. And maybe Hillary Clinton's going after her and trying to paint her into a corner as this Russian asset because she knows that Tulsi Gabbard is the most deadly missile in that field. You know, you've got Beto O'Rourke. He's uh, he's a fringe candidate. He won't make the ne- the next debate. You've got uh, Klobuchar. She doesn't really do anything but make Trump jokes. You've got Judge, He's rising the polls. He attacks. What he he went after somebody last debate. Warren a little bit on her tax spending plan, which I thought was great, saying that you can't afford it. You got Biden who can attack people and has at certain times on policy, but still has the stigma of being an old doddering white man, a male shill of the establishment, who, despite the fact that he's done some things Democrats like in his career, has done a lot of things that Democrats don't like, and they know they can hit him on it. So you've got Tulsi Gabbard. She's like the only sniper rifle missile in here that feels free reign to just attack people willy-nilly because she was in the service. She's got this cudgel to use against people that are establishment that'll damage all of these people's investments. And I'm sure Hillary Clinton also was deeply invested in one way or the other in the military industrial complex. She knows that she's got to keep coming out and attacking Gabbard. If she wants to keep getting those juicy speaking gigs. So I guess in a way it makes sense for her to go after her, Tulsi. But it doesn't make any sense is that the media continue to cover it. Especially some fucking comments said on a podcast. All right, moving on from that. Anyway, God bless Tulsi Gabbard. Uh, Hillary Clinton Keep on, keep on trolling, girl. Get back in the race because it just gives me endless joy and endless content. All right, next thing, let's talk about a video. Speaking of socialism and ridiculous spending policies, let's talk about a video that the RNC put out called Victims of Socialism and could not be more perfectly timed as all these... Just insane Democratic debates continue to trot out 12 candidates unanimously calling for socialistic practices, for government regulation, for government to take over industries, as Warren has talked about, for government-run healthcare, for government-run uh, everything. And to point out how these things have magnificently failed every single time they've tried and have failed in very recent memory, such as the most current example in Venezuela and the one which the RNC has rolled out for its first of this ad campaign, Victims of Socialism. Take a listen. Fires, stone-throwing, and water cannon. Rallies, which began peacefully, have once again degenerated into violence in Venezuela. According to activists, at least one person died and scores were injured. You need protect your country. The, the American people need to pro- protect United States uh, 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 from the, the socialist polity. It's crazy. It's incredible with the socialist, um, Take you, you, your liberty and offer on um, little candy. It's all free. Free tuition at public colleges. Raise your hand if, gov- if your government plan would provide coverage for undocumented immigrants. Free tuition and fees. All people get it regardless of their income. It is publicly funded. The, the strategic is all free. As so if you are uh, all free, you offer your liberty, okay? The socialist person, the socialist people, they are very good as a poets, and they are very good in oratory. Thank you for showing up. Thank you for fighting for our lives, and thank you for fighting for the generations to come, because we are not gonna give up. But they never have created anything in their life. Of course, we made a a terrible mistake. You know, we, we didn't listen. Many people warned us and said, you know, you need to stop this, and you do not need to go for this. And unfortunately, we make the error to say, that's not going to happen in Venezuela. There's one thing that we always say, is these socialist promoters, they should go there and see the reality of what's going on. This is how Venezuelans spend most of their time now, in line not for luxuries, but basics. Hambre, necesidad. We are hungry, we have needs, we have no food. Look at this line. They focus on how to maintain in the power. And if we have to maintain the power, we have to control everybody. So there you go, pretty powerful, powerful stuff. And if you've listened to the shows I've done in Venezuela, if you listen to Mark's show on Monday talking about Latin America, you know, you get a powerful feeling of just how scary these things are. And hearing people talk about it as you've got camera Bernie Sanders saying that he's a big fan of what Venezuela is doing. If you've got these people coming out and saying, Oh, well, Venezuela, you know, is wonderful. And this is just US sanctions are the reason that Venezuela has failed. It's good to hear from people saying, the way it is. I like the specific quotes they use there that these people are poets because that's what this is. I mean, you've got a lot of people that are very artistic. They're pie in the sky. Of course, a lot of them are just fucking complete liars. In fact, all of them are liars, whether they know it willingly or not. But a lot of this is, it is it's poetry of imagination. It's poetry of envisioning a life which we would all say, oh yeah, that sounds great. And what is poetry if not for something that's supposed to elicit emotion? And they're very good at eliciting an emotion, talking about people who don't have health care, talking about children who have no food, talking about people that need education and are failing out and all these things, talking about the downtrodden masses. The problem is that every time these things have been tried, the outcomes Instead of rising up and pulling people out of poverty, as capitalism has done so proficiently, instead what we see is a lowering of the basic level of living, of the basic standards of education, of the basic standards of health, of the basic standards of commerce. Everything is dropped to a level that is so far below what would simply happen if you left it the fuck alone, like the good man do nothing man says. And yes, I say Do Nothing Man. Of course, Do Nothing Man, guys, is my libertarian superhero character. You can go to YouTube, type in Do Nothing Man, and you should have an episodes come up. So I just made a new YouTube page. I also go to Facebook, type in Do Nothing Man like that. Follow the page. You'll, uh, you'll get episodes as they come out. A lot of them are coming out pride only, and then I'll roll them out later as they become publicly available. And, uh, and I want to give my pride people first crack. And yes, guys, I will have an episode done before the end of October and it will be an origin story for my pride, sir. So don't you worry. But anyway, my man, my good man, my good superhero, do nothing, man. If we just do nothing, you see greater outcomes for these people. I mean, people use Somalia as an example, right? They go, Oh, why don't you move to Somalia? If you think libertarianism is so great. Well, yeah, you know what? Literacy went up in Somalia after the government collapse. Uh, Currency and income went up after the government collapsed. Pretty much everything got better in Somalia except one thing. And the one thing that got slightly worse was access to potable water because it became a little bit more difficult without the infrastructure in place that the government had been running. And we don't have, you know, it's kind of like if anything, if you just have a complete collapse of society, well, then yeah, you're going to have some things that are a little bit of a problem, Uh, especially when the government's been running and people's, you know, it's like these idiots who say, who will build the roads? Well, You only ask that question because the government's been building the roads. If we suddenly had a collapse of society, maybe in the first couple of years, the government roads would in fact get run down until we had a solution come up from the private market and or the free market and private companies that step in and say, tell you what, we're going to take care of this road. We'll charge you a toll on it to use it, et cetera. Doesn't mean that the solution's not there. It doesn't mean that your solution is the better one. And that's what we see with these pie in the sky poets talking about solutions that sound so lovely because wouldn't everyone love to be happy and fed and have enough money and have enough health care and not have a worry in the world because papa government and mama government will take care of it. But what happens as evidenced by these people's commentary is that the emphasis simply becomes on power, not quality. It becomes on control, not equality and not liberty, not freedom. But on making sure that the utmost or utmost control over the population is maintained and be damned, the quality of life. Especially as we see the elites within the system that's put into place rise up, maintain their quality, or expand and extend their quality of life at the detriment to the people they are supposed to be taking care of. So great commercial. I'm looking forward to seeing what else they roll out and the timing could not be better because we are seeing every proposal coming out is worse than the last from Elizabeth Warren. Every proposal is more insane as far as the spending goes. Bernie Sanders is no better. Even I was saying, even Tulsi Gabbard, she thinks she's going to pay for her plans by virtue of ending the, the war state. But even if you end all of the wars, and I think there was a general, or maybe even Trump himself said this, even if you end all of the wars, all of the budget, that we have allotted to it, which is something like $860 billion this year. Actually, no, I take that back. It was extended to $1.4 trillion, I believe was what the the actual budget was tallied towards uh, for our war state. Even if you end that, it does not pay for these proposed plans. Even if you take all of it right now, it doesn't give you take all of the accumulated wealth of all of the richest people in the country, it still doesn't pay for even a smidgen of what they're talking about and at risk of what? At risk of losing your ability to choose, at least risk of losing your ability uh, to decide what you want to do for yourself, what you want to do for your family. Fuck that. So good job on you, RNC. Timing is perfect. Roll it out, and I'll uh, we'll see. Maybe I'll play a couple more if they, if they come up with some good ones. I think the next one coming out is going to be Cubot. All right, let's talk about... Let's talk about sex, baby. Let's talk about you and me. Uh, Let's talk about a 12-year-old girl who was arrested and faces a possible jail sentence, well, juvenile jail sentence of a year in prison because she was asked in school by a friend, she said, hey, if you could kill five people, who would you kill? And what the mother says is that this, this girl was asked this question, 12 year old girl who attends a uh, Kansas city middle school. She was asked this question and put her fingers into the shape of a gun, pointed at five of her classmates who were bullying her relentlessly. Went boom, 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 boom. And then bam shot it, pretended to shoot herself in that because she did this, whoever was at the school, you know, the the school uh, officer came in, handcuffed her, arrested her, took her away. And now she is, like I said, Potentially spending a year in a juvenile facility, which if you don't know much about juvenile justice facilities, and I talk a little bit about this with my client, Casa of Los Angeles, and Casa in general, who work with foster youth, they've really put a lot of emphasis on juvenile justice reform and diversion programs. You heard me talk about diversion programs two episodes ago, and I'll talk about it again because when you go into the system, this 12-year-old girl who has never done anything violent in her life. She makes a gesture with her fingers as, and this is not just out of the blue, it's not like she's walking in every day and pointing at these five kids and going bam, bam, and threatening their lives, despite the fact that this is a, the school's no tolerance position on threatening gestures, right? This is, this is why they're doing it. It's not like she did any of this. You've got kids that are allegedly bullying her. The school seems to have done nothing about that. So they're letting actual violence happen, right? Actual harassment happen. But if this girl responds with a hand gesture, which children have been using forever, now she has to go to prison. But anyway, if you put this girl in jail, right? Let's say that she is disturbed. You're going to put her in a juvenile detention facility. Now when she comes out, is she going to be happier? Is she going to be less angry? Is she going to be less inclined to be violent towards classmates after these classmates who bullied her? Essentially... Led to her being put into this prison, this child prison, and now coming out, she spent this time in a facility. God knows what's you know what's gone in there. What's what she's learned? God knows what her experiences are now thrown into this you know this presumably nonviolent girl thrown into a arena where you might have legitimate disturbed people, you might have legitimately violent children in there. So who knows what she's going to come out? looking like who knows how her mental you know, development's going to go. And now she comes out now because she's been in this juvenile facility. Now her life's changed because now it's going to be more difficult for her to get into any schools. Now it's going to be more difficult to make friends because she's now has a stigma of being a mad woman, some sort of domestic terrorist in waiting, some sort of murderer who was caught at the right time and be careful not to set little Julie off or she might go crazy and shoot up a school. All of this Because a fucking retarded-ass school has a zero-tolerance policy, and instead of having a common-sense approach of, hey, don't do that, or asking, why did you point your fingers at these girls like that, and talking to the girl and finding out her side of the story, maybe diving a little bit deeper to figure out why these things happen. Now, instead, let's overreact and arrest her! Absolutely tragic, and just a sign of the Madness that is taking over the psyche of America as led by progressives on the left. This is 100% tied into the madness that is being pushed forward for one solo reason, it's because they want to take the guns away, right? And any means necessary. This is more of the same. Even though there's virtually zero chance, right? Less than 0.001% that your child will die in in a school shooting. We have to push this madness wherein we're now arresting children. One kid got arrested for having a bubble gun. Another kid got arrested for like making a hand gesture. And now a 12-year-old girl, a bullied 12-year-old girl, gets arrested for making a hand gesture. Absolutely crazy. That's our idiot of the week, by the way. That's school district. Um, A couple more things I want to get into real fast. I'm going to wrap this on up so I can eat my dinner din din is... This one is just absolutely above and beyond. Actually, I'm going to end it on this. So you're filled with Rock the Vote. Remember like Puff Daddy was involved with Rock the Vote. It's like this stupid quote unquote nonpartisan organization that's trying to help people get out and vote, which is clearly, clearly run by the most Democrat Democrats that have ever democrated. They have put out a petition which urges voters to, quote, fix the broken electoral college with a national popular vote. Now, one could argue that the issue of rock the vote should want to in any way make the power of voting more prominent, right? I, I, I guess I could buy that. They're called rock the vote, so your vote should matter. One man, one vote, and that vote should decide who's president. Now, of course, this is aligned with any number of other liberal jagoff groups including common cause the daily kos or coss progress america roots action and of course hillary clinton after she lost and her supporters were hilariously crying into their little uh, little pussy hats said that she should that we should get rid of the electoral college that it should just be a popular vote and by virtue of that Whoever wins this election, uh, you know, whoever has the most votes per population, rather than relying on the electoral college to give people in non heavily populated coastal states the ability to have emphasis or influence on what the country does and how their freedoms and liberties are concerned, well, they want to get rid of that and just make it make sure that it's the majority rule, a.k.a. pure democracy. And of course, as we know, pure democracy simply leads to tyranny by the majority, the absolute 100% of the time. It inevitably turns to that if you have this this sort of system in place. Now, what's funny is that we just had a Canadian election where Trudeau was elected and he won re-election despite losing the popular vote. And what's hilarious is now you have conservatives over there calling to (laughs) to eliminate their system of uh, the electoral college. And they want to have a pure popular vote on that side. So just to let you know, this idiocy goes both ways. It's just, you know, it's sour grapes. But what's really interesting to read in this this story and this rock the vote, uh, what they're putting out there as far as trying to convince people is why this is a good thing. It's mind boggling. Let me read you some of this logic and see if it makes any sense to you because it makes no sense to me. So in this petition, it says it's time to fix the broken electoral college. Quote, in two of the past five presidential elections, the candidate who won the popular vote lost the election. And in every presidential race, candidates are forced to focus their attention on only a handful of swing states, ignoring the vast majority of voters nationwide. Okay. So they're somehow trying to argue that presidential candidates would spend less time in influential swing states. If we had a national popular vote, that's fucking absurd because while candidates spend a certain amount of time in swing states, all that's going to happen. If you eliminate a national popular, if you eliminate electoral college, is they're going to visit less states that have an impact on their candidacy. Like for example, you know, Trump won because he went to Minnesota. You know, he went to, uh, some of the other ones that he won in Swagger, I think he won Pennsylvania, right? Whatever it was. I'm not going to go through the whole fucking map right now, but to say that you're going to somehow have candidates focusing more on people rather than specifically just going to New York, Los Angeles, San Francisco, Chicago, you know, whatever these other Boston, instead of all they're going to go to is is major population hubs. So. This makes no sense saying that it's somehow more inclusive. If anything, it's vastly less inclusive because instead of appealing to a broad population group, instead of saying, okay, I want policies that are going to impact people nationwide. Instead of saying, I want something that's going to be good for everybody. Now you can simply win by campaigning by going to the most populated city centers and pitching strategically to those people and making policies built around catering just to those people. Now, of course, the logic that they'll argue is they say, well, that is the most amount of people. The most amount of people live in the city center, so why shouldn't we build policy based around that? And of course, the obvious response is city life, rural life, even suburban life are so vastly goddamn different that you cannot possibly have policies apply to everybody that make any sense. You can see this as evidenced by the fight for 15, I mean, you're looking at, at cities that do have massive population groups, right? That do have high standards of living. And even with, within those cities, you are still seeing businesses close. You're still seeing a, a drop in new businesses starting. You're seeing a drop in employment rates. You're seeing automization takeover, which is of course Andrew Yang's big fear. But yet Andrew Yang's probably still pushing for 15. Don't quote me on that though. I'm not positive. But just the entire logic behind this is so stupid. Because they can't simply point out the fact that they are a liberally biased organization. Actually, I can't even say liberal, a progressive biased organization. And that they know that progressive ideals live within tightly packed city centers that don't necessarily have the same ideals as people in the rest of the country. That typically you have your entertainment hubs there, you have your educational hubs in these places that are pushing uh, progressive dogma. So they can't say that. So, of course, they have to make up some other bullshit, which is this insane argument. I don't even know how this made it through the vetting process and becomes, and it's literally the first thing in the petition. This was their strongest argument. So they led with this argument that we need to have candidates not focus on a handful of swing states, quote, ignoring the vast majority of voters nationwide, unquote. And instead, they want them to make sure to focus only on the majority, quote, majority of voters that live within only a few cities. Oh boy, rock the vote, guys, rock the vote. All right, that's gonna wrap it up for this episode of Alliance of Liberty, electric Liberty Land, everybody. Thanks so much for listening. As a reminder, listen to Mark Claire on Mondays with his interviews with leaders of the libertarian movement. Of course, I'm here every Wednesday good old Brian McWilliams and John Odie Odermatt will be on with felony Fridays every Friday. That is a wonderful show to share with your friends, by the way, and, uh, walks the line so that, you know, if there's one thing we can usually agree on with almost anybody across the spectrum, it is criminal justice reform, everybody. And so felony Friday really focuses on that topic. It is not overly libertarian. So it's a good way to, uh, introduce, our podcast to your friends, to your family, introduce them to some libertarian ideals where they're not going to get hit over the head with it as you might with my show. Although shockingly, a good friend of mine named Kevin, uh, he has started listening to the show and said he enjoys it. And he's uh, definitely far more liberal than I am. Although rationally liberal, you could talk to, you know, some people you could talk to (laughs) some people, you just can't Anywho, uh, that's going to wrap it up guys. As a reminder, Go to lionsofliberty.store. Don't forget to get yourself a taxation is death mug. You can also pick up a do nothing man shirt while you're there or an electric Liberty land shirt. If you want to look super cool, you know, for a while we were having a rash of people posting in the forum about seeing other people in lions of Liberty shirts or actually having people come up to them and say, uh, Hey, live long and live free, baby. Yeah. Anyway. All right, that's going to do it. From me, Brian McWilliams, from the Lions of Liberty, and from Electric Liberty Land. Always stay plugged into the.